Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes all of that is like leading to stress, then really kind of dialing that back and figuring out feels good for you, what feels right for you. I think a big, big piece is learning to listen to yourself and your intuition on what is right for you and not being distracted by what is right for everyone else or what everyone else thinks might be right for you. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. This episode is sponsored by Full Well Prenatal Multivitamin, formerly known as Full Circle Prenatal. Full Well Prenatal is the only prenatal multivitamin on the market with optimum nutrients for before, during, and after pregnancy. Use the code less stressed to get a discount at fullwellfertility.com. Okay, today we're with Allison Schaff, who is the founder of Miscarriage Hope Desk, a friendly resource she wished she'd had during her year-long struggle with infertility, including a total of five miscarriages. You might know Allison as the founder of PrepDish, which was started about a decade ago. I think in my brain of it as kind of the OG meal planning service, it was very like household name-ish to me as a dietitian at one point. And so you may know her from that. And this is her more recent venture, which is Miscarriage Hope Desk. She lives in Dripping Springs, Texas with her husband, two sons, two cats, two puppies, a goat, lots of chickens and a few beehives. And if you hear any chicks chirping in the background, it's not you. It's her. She actually has (laughs) chicks in the background. So we'll just get that out of the way just in case, in case anyone's wondering. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. And I want to clarify, PrepDish is very much still alive and running, even though that's not what we're focusing our conversation on today. Yes, very much alive and well, if you ever don't know the answer of what is for dinner. So (laughs) she answers that quite. That is what she does over there. On that note, you know, it's a lot to like create a baby, birth a baby like that, like PrepDish. That was about a decade ago. And we're going to talk about your story, which led you to creating Miscarriage Hope Desk, which is this resource that didn't really, obviously there's a gap and you saw like, oh, there is nothing to help people here. How does your story fit into 
that business creation at that time. Take us back to when this was and when it started and how long, like how many years was this journey? If you want to start there. Yeah. So to tie it together to that, I started PrepDish. I was single and had just moved to Texas. And really, I had a personal chef business as well. So I was like seeing personal chef clients and then like kind of hustling and creating prep dish on the nights and weekends. And part of the reason though, behind creating prep dish was I knew that the personal chef business was not the business model that I wanted for a family. So even back then, it was kind of late 20s. I knew I wanted a family and I knew when I had that family that I you know wanted to be able to spend time with them that I didn't think the personal chef business was going to allow and the way I had it set up. So that kind of sets the stage. And then as I was building Prep Dish, met my you know now husband and we both knew that we wanted to start a family. And then, you know, so after we got married, we kind of had a fun little turn of events where we moved to Puerto Rico for a year. And that the thing to note there in terms of fertility is that at the time, Puerto Rico had this weird thing called Zika virus. So we've kind of had this like following of weird viruses, but only impacts women trying to get pregnant. So when we moved back to Texas, we then started our fertility journey and had no reason to think that I would have any sort of trouble. I don't think most women or couples do. You know, I am a dietitian by background, I eat healthy, I have an active lifestyle. My husband is, is, you know, he's active and healthy as well. We just kind of thought, you know, the biggest decision we needed to make was how many kids do we want? And that was all we had to think about. But pretty quick into our journey, we realized we, there were other, <laughs> other decisions and things to think about. So we started trying, you know, as we we're moving back to Texas and Gosh, like pretty quickly into it with the first pregnancy, I actually didn't even realize I was pregnant. And because I thought what I had had a period, you know, I was already tracking all of that pretty closely. But then two weeks after what I thought was my period, I had a very large gush of blood <laughs> leave my body and got rushed to urgent care and then on to an ER where everyone was telling me I was pregnant and asking for details about my pregnancy, which, you know, I didn't know anything about. And kind of long story short there, had a very traumatic day of finding out I was six weeks pregnant, but also in the same kind of hour, finding out that I had miscarried, um, which was like very kind of confusing since I didn't even realize that I was. But, you know, after that, you know, I met with my doctor. They said, you know, it's pretty normal to like, you know, one in four pregnancies and in miscarriage. So I kind of got acquainted with that stat and really didn't have any reason to believe that I needed to be cautious in terms of like moving forward and trying again. So that's what I did. We started trying again within a few months. I was pregnant again. And this time got the positive pregnancy test, was super excited. And a few weeks later, I started bleeding and sure enough, miscarried again. It was at this point where I realized there might be something going on here requested for my doctor that I get some testing done. I did find out I had a blood clotting issue, but that sounded like good news. A lot of times in the fertility world, women don't get any sort of kind of answers. And I felt like I had an answer and then a protocol that followed. And it was kind of a few months to get all that testing done and kind of reset. And then we started trying again to get pregnant, except for I had this protocol. So I thought everything was going to be great. And unfortunately, you know, again, got pregnant pretty quickly, had this protocol of blood thinners and this pregnancy, things went on really for quite a while. I was super sick. I was throwing up all the time. It was awful, but it was also great because 
everyone says, even my doctor, like, hey, morning sickness is a sign of a healthy pregnancy. And I'd had a few scans. I think it was like the 11 week scan or 10 and a half weeks, somewhere around there. I had no reason to believe anything was going to be wrong. I had thrown up the night before, which I thought was just like, you know, the telltale sign of a healthy pregnancy. But unfortunately, at that point, there was no heartbeat. And that was definitely one of the most devastating days of my life. (laughs) And was really hard. And it was at that point, I was like three times, like I couldn't even wrap my head around it, like what was happening. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to, I mean, I guess in the moment, like move forward at all, but like move forward with pregnancies and like trying and doing all that. Like I just felt very, I don't know, devastated and crushed. And it was just like this downward spiral feeling. I didn't know what to do. And it was kind of in the, the weeks preceding that, that I didn't think I kind of started to feel like I can't move forward in doing this. I keep doing the same thing. I also started to get more and more acquainted with that recurrent pregnancy loss and recurring miscarriage kind of world and realizing there were women out there that went through this, unfortunately, even though I didn't personally know anyone who had gone through more than one miscarriage. I also, in this time, it was kind of like this coincidence or probably not, but we had a trip planned for like right after that miscarriage. And I took that trip with my husband and kind of like on that trip got this like kind of like knowing I hit rock bottom and I got then this like knowing of like adoption and that started coming to me. So, you know, over the next few months, really continued to hear the word adoption when I got quiet, when I meditated, when I prayed, any of that, I felt like kind of God was speaking directly to me. And, you know, eventually we decided to go down that path. Although within that time frame, I did get pregnant again and miscarried for the fourth time, which just kind of like reconfirmed that like, okay, I'm on the right path with this adoption thing. Like I've got to stop doing this thing. I've got to pause from that and kind of shift. And then, but knowing that I might get back to that eventually, but I just felt like I needed to give myself and my body a break. And the adoption process went actually really smoothly for us. I know that's not the case for everyone. And then a week or two after we had been approved, we hadn't even gotten to sign up for our the agency we wanted to go with, but we got a call that there was a baby that had already been born. Within two hours, I was holding him in my arms. He was born around Christmas time, which is funny because I'd always said, like, as soon as we went down the adoption path, I was like, it's going to happen fast. And I think we're going to get a Christmas baby, which no one in the adoption world would say it was possible because that was, you know, we started the process in like in October. So no one would have said, Hey, you're going to have a baby by December. That just doesn't happen. But when we got this, you know, our son, I was asked, it's a closed adoption. So I was asking the nurse some details. And when I actually realized, I was like, wait, how far along was the mom in her pregnancy? And they said, Oh, she was 38 and a half weeks. And I did the math and realized that with that pregnancy that I'd had, had gone, you know, kind of to like 10 and a half weeks, I would have been 38 and a half weeks pregnant. And so, I mean, I already knew this was our baby, but it was in that moment that I just lost it. And I was like, oh my God, this is my like baby that I was, you know, crying for and praying for like all those weeks when I was pregnant. And it just was one of the most magical days of my life. And you know, not to then be a downer from there. But I, I do like to share that right after we adopted, I got pregnant for a fifth time. And of course, everyone will tell you as soon as you adopt, oh, it'll just happen. It'll be so easy. And, you know, unfortunately, that wasn't the case for us. I thought for a minute that might be, you know, we started our protocol and all that, but that was miscarriage number five. 
So at that point, I did, you know, take a break, <laughs> enjoy the baby phase. And then we started interviewing fertility clinics, had a round of, you know, IVF where we ended up with no viable embryos, much to the shock of, you know, the doctor and of course us, especially, you know, since I had always gotten pregnant fairly easily. So that was also very devastating because I thought, you know, with IVF, we could have options. You know, if we had embryos, we'd have options of, you know, me carrying or a surrogate or just, you know, it would open up the doors, but that did not pan out. And so then took a step back, decided we would really kind of buckle down and figure out what, maybe if we need to change the protocol, but take a few months to really work on everything like health, nutrition, stress, all of that. And within that time frame, like a month or two after that failed cycle, I got pregnant and this time it stuck. And it's one of those things where, you know, I was doing the protocol I'd been doing for a few pregnancies. I was doing this, I was, you know, I don't know what I was doing differently that was the magic thing. I don't think there was, it was just our time. And then of course, a month after I got pregnant, the pandemic hit. So I had a, an interesting, you know, pregnancy and it was filled with, oh gosh, there were a lot of kind of interesting things that happened, but ultimately it was a healthy full-term baby boy. And I now have two little ones, the baby's almost a year and a two and a half year old. And through all of that, one thing that my husband and I always came back to was one, like, I just like the, the idea of having multiple miscarriages hadn't even crossed my mind. I didn't know that was something that was in the realm of possibilities. And once we got into that, like, I feel like there just weren't resources out there to really explain what was going on, what options I had. The doctors kind of just funneled me down this path, but I just, I never quite felt satisfied with what I was getting. And so I knew kind of halfway through the journey, like, there is a gap here and I am going to work to create something. And so it was interesting. I actually formed Miscarriage Hope Desk right before I got pregnant with my son and ended up creating that business as that pregnancy unfolded, which, you know, wasn't my idea of like timing, but I think, you know, that was kind of meant to be that way. And Miscarriage Hope Desk launched a few months before my son was born. And then now we've just been, you know, working to get those, you know, connections and resources out to women that are struggling with recurrent loss and, and multiple miscarriages. Oh, that yeah. is a lot of a story. <laughs> and I mean, it's like captivating the entire time. I didn't want to interrupt you. What year did that start sort of kind of like when was Zika virus? Do we think like, are we think, at about six years ago, seven? No, it was actually kind of condensed because I did get pregnant so quickly. So I want mm. to say it started twenty. 17 or 2016. Yeah. Okay. And then your first baby was born. What year was that? 2019. Okay. No, 2018. It was like right before the year. So I always mm -hmm. want to say 2019 because it was mm -hmm. like a few days before the year. <laughs> yeah. And this baby was born in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. There was a lot that happened shockingly quickly right there. It wasn't there. Yeah. A really a lot. And I don't, I mean, not that like I planned any of it, but that's one of the messages sometimes that I have for women is to really, and it's not like I was pushing or anything, but, you know, really taking that time and space to allow, you know, grief and not feel, you know, and I, so I'm right now 39 years old. So like I was in my like late thirties through all of that. So I did kind of feel like a time pressure, but I think that was a little bit unnecessary, right? Like I think sometimes looking back, like I think for me, just taking the time and space I needed to like grieve and get through everything and not trying to rush the next step 
which is hard to do. Like I, you know, it's hard to do when you feel this kind of pressure. And, you know, I think also like you have a miscarriage and you want to get pregnant again to help make it better, but you also have to get through the grief. And, you know, there were a lot of therapy appointments mixed in there, but, you know, also it's work that I continue to do to this day in terms of kind of processing everything that, that happened. Right. There's a lot of pieces there. And we were kind of talking before we got into this discussion, how do we want to, like, what do we want to help with today? How do we want to share and how do we want to help people? And we kind of like settled on, and I have a couple more, like I have questions that come up when we talk about this, but you know, you kind of put it into buckets a little bit. Like these are the considerations for healing after miscarriage, emotional, physical relationships, your marriage and relationship, especially testing a lab work and then whatever else there is like whatever other ancillary stuff. So I don't know if we want to step through each piece of those, but you know, if I may ask you, I think like the emotional relationships will be good to stuff to talk about. We'll start with like the science stuff. Okay. Because it's a bit more maybe neutral-ish, maybe not to start. And that's where my first questions go. Like this went overall, there was a lot that happened in a short amount of time, even though it probably, maybe it felt like a long time. I would presume it also okay. did. Like it was probably both of those things. What was the blood clotting disorder that you had, uh-huh. first of all? And was there like standard testing that they were looking at? with miscarriage history, like progesterone, or were there like typical things that you did first? This, what was the standard of care that you received? And then the other thing I heard from you is that sometimes you're kind of lost in the shuffle after a certain point, right? Yeah. So first, the blood clot disorder is antiphospholipid syndrome, which is pretty rare. Although if you have had recurrent miscarriage, it's actually common. I can't remember the percent off the top of my head, but it's a fairly large percent of women in this small percent of women, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. It is one that is typically tested for a lot of times the standard of care. And this is shifting in the U.S. It's shifting from three miscarriages to two. And also, I think my doctor was okay with it because of my age. Unfortunately, honestly, I think after two, it's okay to start doing some testing. And that is a huge thing that I have been an advocate for with Miscarriage Hope Desk is I have a free checklist that I give out like, hey, here is an extensive list of all of the lab work that you might want to look into. Not to be overwhelming because there might be pieces in there that aren't relevant for you, but I think you one, need to take control of your labs, understand what the testing means. And then, you know, if there are labs that your doctor chooses to skip, like why is that? And what's the reasoning for that? And not being afraid to ask for things because it is easy to miss key pieces to that. And there was one that I didn't even mention. And any of them that were kind of key pieces for me were top articles. So with Miscarriage Hope Desk, we like go in depth into the research. So any of them that I talk about here are probably ones that we have like articles that's really in-depth research into them. But one of them was sperm DNA fragmentation. And that's one that until we got to that fertility clinic, no one had tested. And it's not as like well accepted by everyone, but there is a lot of research that it can lead to miscarriage. So that's something and overall, like the male factor that goes into miscarriage is overlooked because even I've had doctors say, well, you're getting pregnant. So your husband, you know, must be fine. We don't need to do any testing on him. And the more I have looked into the research and having a background as a dietitian has really helped me to know how to read through the research and look at the studies and see what's out there. But male factor can definitely contribute to miscarriage. So I think that's something that gets overlooked as well. But like, as you mentioned, yes, it's important to do the testing. I think knowledge is always good to have the knowledge. 
But then, you know, there is this piece of it where you're not going to know with 100% certainty, like what was the thing that helped, you know, like I have tweaked my supplement routine and my diet. But then, you know, at the same time, I think one of the most important things is to really decrease your stress. And so if all of that is like leading to stress, then really kind of dialing that back and figuring out, you know, what feels good for you, what feels right for you. I think a big, big piece is learning to listen to yourself and your intuition on what is right for you and not being distracted by what is right for everyone else or what everyone else thinks might be right for you. And to talk about the stress thing, you know, because people say that and they're like, that sounds nice, but sometimes we're not even self-aware of our own stress. And we undoubtedly, we've both been in that situation. You know, sometimes I have these physiological signs you know, like the eye twitch or something where I'm like, WTF. I literally talk about this all the time. Why am I experiencing this magnesium (laughs) loss or whatnot? But with stress, things that get suppressed would include progesterone, which I don't know what the percentage is of women carrying that need to be on progesterone, but it's pretty common to be on progesterone to maintain a pregnancy. And so stress will suppress that. Oh, thyroid. It'll totally steal from thyroid. And when thyroid is off, it's kind of like your metabolic center. And so like our body is so good at maintaining things. And then it has to steal from each other a little bit when it cannot, when it doesn't have enough resources, unfortunately. So, and like, this is the story that we hear that's common. It's like, you're a high performing, successful woman with a healthy diet and lifestyle. Yet Mm -hmm. we still have some stuff going on, right? That you didn't know about, that you learned about some things that you learned about, maybe some things that you still possibly haven't learned about because it was probably a bit of a whirlwind, right? It kept coming and then it kept, you know, so it was like almost hard to grieve and do the things in between, right? And you allowed, like, it sounds like you did give yourself some space sometimes, which was awesome. So testing lab kind of, you have like a checklist and it does include some thyroid markers. And as a comment, I don't know what your experience was then moving toward the fertility realm, but common, it's not standard of care to do a full thyroid panel. You know, it's just, we do a very partial one. And so you gave some really great advice that, and it was really take control of your labs. Like, why are you skipping this? And what's the reasoning for that? Right. So when you just ask that kindly, sometimes it changes the table and then they're like, okay, I'll add it. (laughs) You know, it's just like, it's not under the standard. So I just think a a thyroid is a really important one to point out. And it is one where there's sometimes a lack of questioning like, oh, what was actually tested there? And it can change, right? So like if your thyroid was normal, but you've had a few miscarriages, it should be retested just to make sure things are still okay, because things can change over time with some of these. Okay. So another one of the buckets besides testing the lab work is the physical healing. So it's kind of like this, it's a similar bucket to like Mm -hmm. testing and lab work, like physical healing post miscarriage. One, you had some major emotional stuff, right? Post, Mm -hmm. but like physically, how did you feel? What was being depleted? How long did it take you to recover? Like, what would you say about the physical healing aspect? Like what all goes into that? Yeah. I mean, time, right? I think with all of it, it's time. And just allowing yourself to take a break. I hear these heartbreaking stories of women like showing up at work the next day or like being at work, you know, going actively through a miscarriage and like do it, you know what I mean? And so if at all possible, like be able to pause and like, and that's where I am grateful that like I, you know, I had Preptish and my team was very understanding of like, I could do that for the most part, you know, like I could take a pause and really like, you know, immediately the first few days, like spend some time in bed and resting, crying a lot. I think that crying really does help physically heal as well. It's good for the emotional piece and the physical piece. Like there's an, that's just an important part of like over kind of getting through all of it. 
wanted to just let those tears flow. And then, you know, diet, I think really making sure like I, so I ate liver, I actually liver worst. So US Wellness Meeks make this like liver that's like palatable, but for me, cause there is a lot of blood loss. So things like liver and then Gosh, I remember with one of them kind of listening to what your body craves as well. But like, I would like do what was it like avocado chocolate smoothie? It was like cold with like avocado and something else and cocoa. It's kind of like a smoothie, but it's almost like a milkshake. And it just really was like felt very nourishing at the time. So listening to my body in that way. And then, you know, just not overdoing it. I really did like scale back through this whole time. I, scaled back on like working out, like my workouts were really moving my body, but more like going for a walk, not doing a hit workout, right? Like really listening in and being like, that doesn't really sound like that's probably a good idea. And I I don't feel like it. So I'm just going to go for like a long walk outside or go, you know, kind of be in nature and like sit with the, like I have a backyard that's full of trees and we have a a swing that's in the trees. Like I'm going to go hang out there and just kind of listening in there. And um, like I said, with that one miscarriage, I did have a vacation planned immediately after. And that was so important to kind of give me that time and space. And again, like I didn't plan it that way, but I think it probably wasn't an accident that that happened. But I think if you can just take a vacation of some sort and just kind of take a break from it and not try to push through and to just kind of tune into your body to like get quiet, like with the adoption thing, right? When I heard that, that's because I physically was still and quiet and was like meditating. Or when I got in the car for a long drive, that's when I'd also hear it. You have to create that space. And for me, I had to be very intentional because it was really easy for me to want to be like, okay, I'm just going to get busy, going to do some work, but that's not going to get you what you want in the long run. So really fight that urge to do the busy work and to really just kind of sit with the feelings and... And just do the hard work, you know? Mm. This is some good advice. I'm making some good recap notes here. It sounds like, and you can correct me, it does sound a little bit like you had a good relationship with your body maybe before this. Because for you to say, I could scale back because I didn't feel good to overwork myself or whatnot, not everyone is in that place or in that space yet, right? And so I think it's okay to acknowledge that there is that I think that's awesome for you. And if someone listening to this, if that kind of makes them bristle or they don't see themselves doing that, like maybe just ask why, like what narrative is going on there. So, and one thing I will point out there, and again, like, and I don't know all, (laughs) and sometimes it's easier in retrospect to like say that there were definitely points. And I think when I was going the adoption route, this came up and through subsequent therapy of like really being upset with my body and angry at my body. And that took a long time to process. But I think if someone has gone through miscarriage, that's an important piece to address and really tap into. Because if you would have asked me in the moment, I may not have like recognized that. But looking back, I can see that like I definitely like, you know, was disappointed in myself and my body. And that's not fair. And that shouldn't be the way that you think. And I don't want people to think that. But if that's in there, just know that that's unfortunately probably normal. But it's something to listen into and to work through. Well, it overlaps. None of these buckets are in their silo. So yeah. we <laughs> talked a little bit about testing and lab work. Now we were talking about physical healing, but it's spilling over into emotional healing. And so to be yeah. angry with your body is like 
that is like a grieving process, right? It's like mm-hmm. anger, denial, whatever, whatever the stages are, right? It doesn't matter the stages are, but like what you said there is valuable because you did have therapy. You were getting help and support there. You were not completely by like you were capable of getting quiet and listening and not just filling and trying to be busy and, and shove it for a long mm-hmm. time and house trauma forever, which is fully a thing that we see later in practice manifesting as yes. challenging for adrenals, et cetera. But you got some support in that area. And I don't know how long, how quickly you got support in that area, but I will say like as someone who sees clients, I have seen such a dramatic difference in people that are getting emotional support and those that are not, because those who are not dump it on my doorstep. And it's like really hard to sift through to get to like what I need yes. to get to. Like, it's like hoarding. It's like, I mm-hmm. now have to walk over all this stuff to get to where I need to get to, but that's actually not being addressed either. So now we actually can't be as effective. I feel like I can't even get to my job yeah, know, because like someone wants me to be their therapist, which I'm a thousand percent unqualified for. So how quickly did you rise to the occasion and get emotional support? Because this was happening kind of quickly, maybe not, maybe it was yeah. right. Like in the retro, it's hard, easier to say in retrospect, what did you do for emotional healing first? And where did this come in? Like, what were some of the tools in the toolbox there? Yeah. So therapy, looking back, honestly, I probably I could have even done more than I did. Like after the first miscarriage, I think I did one or two sessions after the second I don't know that I did. And oh, this is a topic for, again, they're all overlap, but we saw one together. So my husband and I saw a therapist together. And I think also because like there's this weird thing where, you know, if you're hurting, it's just like intertwined with your partner. And so I think, I don't know, like we end up doing a lot of kind of therapy together. And that was super helpful. Like I can't recommend that enough because it's a lot to go through on a marriage. So we did that. And then, gosh, you know, there were periods where I wasn't regularly seeing one and maybe could have been, but I also like did different. And I'm one of those people that tries everything <laughs> and I don't want to list everything I've tried because it can sound overwhelming. I will say it's kind of one at a time. And like I said earlier, like picking and choosing what feels right for you in the moment. And also like if it makes you a happier, healthier person, then do that thing. Because even if it doesn't lead to that pregnancy, if it's making you happier and healthier, then that's the thing you should be doing more of. And it'll make you a better, you know, parent someday, a better person. So, you know, some examples is in the beginning, there was an acupuncturist that that wasn't the case. And then I did find an acupuncturist that I love. One of the differences is she came to my house. And so I didn't have to drive for the appointment because I'm in the country. And that meant that then all of a sudden the acupuncture appointment went from being stressful to being something where I felt very supported and cared for. So I'm really kind of paying attention to that. And then one thing that I've been doing even recently in terms of therapy is I've just started trying EMDR therapy. And it's specifically for anyone that's going has had something that's traumatic and a miscarriage can certainly be traumatic. And I'm a few sessions in. I don't feel like I'm fully in enough to be like, this is the thing you should all do. But if you feel like you've gone through something in your fertility journey that is highly charged emotionally and it feels kind of traumatic, then you might want to look into EMDR. So far, I've been really pleased with the results of that. You know, in the past, it's been mainly, you know, couples therapy and then just individual one on one, like a talk therapy type thing, which have both also been very helpful. Gosh. Oh, and the other big piece for me 
was during my pregnancy, you know, having a therapist and that I had weekly, that was during COVID. So it was like, I think it might've even been better help, but it was like online therapist once a week, maybe at one point it's even twice a week, but like getting through a pregnancy when you've been through that much loss is really hard. And I wanted to enjoy the pregnancy, but I had to be very intentional and really choose to enjoy the pregnancy and not have it be only filled with fear. So you know, the therapist almost was more instrumental, like while I was pregnant, I think, because it's like, I had to like, have some hand holding there. Oh, that's such a good point. I love how you brought up like, doing it during pregnancy, which is you would think not like, that's not what makes sense normally mm-hmm. to us. Or, and actually, as you said, you got pregnant during COVID. Like there was a lot of fear instilled in people, especially around pregnancy. Like there's, everything was unknown, which doesn't make anyone feel better. So, and then like, let's like make this pregnancy prenatal experience, like a lot less enjoyable, (laughs) a lot less enjoyable than it could be. At least you had some experience with it before. I suppose you could have some comparison. I don't know if it's better to have a comparison or not. Well, I was, I was severely sick again. So I was in bed throwing up nonstop. So by the time COVID hit, everyone was complaining about staying at home. I was like, I haven't left my bed in three weeks. So it was like, it was easy for me to stay home. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, with this emotional healing, actually something before I I transition here, you talked about different modalities and I think like doing a big thing, you know, is cool. Or you talked about lots of little things like one, maybe even two times per week. What about daily from a perspective of emotional healing? And you may have brought that up before, but like, you know, what are you doing every single day that supports emotional healing? What sticks out to you that you think, or do you think therapy helped hold you over till the next time? Because it was like what you were like carrying out in your day-to-day life. No, I think day-to-day, it's really important to like, again, that space, like not feeling the space with busy work. And I think it's kind of been a lesson for me in general, like going through this of like, okay, my walks to me are very important. I go on a walk every day. I try not to have anything in my ears, you know, like it's like easy because you can fill your like quiet downtime with like, oh, I'm going to listen to, you know, I love podcasts. I'm on one right now, but, you know, having some time where you just go on a walk in silence, journaling. I've seen some really cool journals now with Miscarriage Hope Desk. People will send, you know, things that they create and like there's some really cool journals that like have guided prompts and stuff. I think just writing that out. So this is a piece I didn't have, but connection with other women that have gone through it. That's something I'm trying to create through Miscarriage Hope Desk, but being able to just, you know, talk with women. And I did have one or two girlfriends with fertility struggles. And so, you know, we could bond over that. And I think that was helpful. But on a daily basis, just like, you know, I'm a meditator as well. So like meditation and my daily walk and just kind of like caring for my body, you know, like my water in the morning, my supplements, all of that feels very supportive to me. Yeah, totally. Okay. So you brought this up already. It's like every bucket just kind of flows into the next one. And you brought up that you and your husband saw therapists together. So one of the buckets that you, you know, brought up on these things that help or some considerations for healing post miscarriage was, you know, attending to your relationship and your marriage. Um, so talk to us about what that looks like to go through something with someone you know, it's kind of better and worse, maybe sometimes. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> talk to me about what happened there. I know you went to therapy together, but like what led up to that? Because at first you went to therapy alone. Yeah. Like what was he going through or his emotions? Was he shoving those? Was he dealing with them? What, how did it affect your relationship? All those things. So number one, we grieve very differently. And I think this is true of like every relationship. And this is the most important thing to know is like, 
the way that you process grief, you get through grief is so different. The way you show support is very different. The way you want support is very different. And so trying to have a conversation about those things is so, so important. And for us, like having an outside person to help facilitate those conversations and even just like point out that 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 was happening. So when you're in it, you're like, well, why is he not coming up to give me a hug? Well, he's giving me space because that's what he wants, you know? And so really working through and figuring out how you can best support each other. And at the same time, acknowledging like, oh yeah, they are showing support in their own way. Like maybe him doing that is because like he things that's, you know, what you want. And so just really like having an open dialogue there. So that's one piece of it. And then the other part of it is what do you want moving forward? And that's where I've seen too with Miscarriage Hope Desk is sometimes people are really split on that. For us, we did have the foundation of, we both wanted a family. And I didn't mention this, but before we even got married, we did talk that like, we were open to adoption, not really for fertility issues, but just like we thought that might be in our future. And but we both like were very certain and unwavering and like wanting a family. So neither of us ever, I mean, I'm sure like in the height of it, I was like, oh, I'm done. But like I was never giving up on having a family and neither was he. So that was like this thing that we came back to is like, what's our commonality? And of course, like, you know, you've got your love for each other. So that's something you can go back to as well and that piece of it. But you know, really coming back to that because there are times where I wanted to go and do this and he wanted to do that. And like, that's really hard to have that conversation. You know, like when you bring up a topic like adoption or IVF and with both of those, we were not a hundred percent in alignment all the time on what path we wanted to take. And those are really, really hard conversations to have, especially when you're going through grief at the same time. So I just like to point that out a lot through my work with Miscarriage Hope Desk that like if you and your partner are struggling through this, it is hard. It's a very hard thing to go through. But now I do think, you know, parenting can have its challenges and it's really helped us form a bond that we didn't otherwise have. What I hear from the way you describe this is that you understood kind of each other's personalities and how you manifested. Do you think you knew that before or that was something you started to uncover through that because that could be a place for contention or for understanding. And we have a choice there. And that's kind of why I'm like mildly obsessed with personality types because when you read them and they feel like they're reading your mind and then you look at like your partners. I mean, I was like first depressed when I saw my husband's Enneagram number. And then I was like, okay, now I understand you a little better. Like, Dang it. Anyway, so um, this is not what I fully expect. It wasn't where I was pigeonholing and what you're not supposed to do. And so my point is, is what I take from it is that I understand that person better. And if you can understand them better when they're in a healthy place or an unhealthy place or whatever, you know, it gives more empathy. And empathy is like, you know, is the opposite of anger, I think. So I'm just wondering if you kind of understood how he dealt with things beforehand. I would presume not. Like when did that unravel. No, I probably thought like if you would have asked me, I maybe would have beforehand, I maybe would have said, sure, I know that. But no, like we learned out, we learned so much more about each other. And I mean, I think we learned, you know, so much more about ourselves too. Like there are ways that I went through it that I didn't even know about myself until I got into it. You know, like it really brought out, you know, brings out parts of yourself are kind of surprising and not maybe your favorite parts either. Right. As you're going through it. So Mm -hmm. Um, we got to discover all of that together. (laughs) And do you think you would have been able to discover it? Like, did you go to therapy and did it help you 
unravel that? Or were you guys able to kind of navigate? What do you think if you were talking to someone and their husband wouldn't go to therapy with them, but they do need to make some, like there is a struggle there. Like, what would you say? Here's something to consider when you're Mm -hmm. trying to like, here's how to help understand your spot. Like, you know, because there's a self-awareness issue sometimes. It's like, maybe your husband didn't know that him kind of secluding himself was his own way of dealing with it. Like at first, like he didn't even realize it because maybe that was just how he was, right? He didn't even know. Yeah. What would you say to that person who's really struggling with that piece? Yeah. So I actually, and I am by no means like a therapist or anything, but I created a, a checklist. So we have a moving forward program, but I think I gave it out to my email list like on Valentine's day, but it's this checklist of, okay, how do I show support and how do I want support to be given to me. And it's like pretty like long of like, you know, bringing me breakfast in bed or giving me a hug or giving me space, like all the different things, like buying me flowers, writing a card, just all of these things that you can have in like that checklist. And then you can get together with your partner and have that conversation of like, how are you showing support? How do you want to receive support? But also having those conversations. So that conversation and the like, what steps are we going to do moving forward? Those conversations need to be had like Saturday morning when you're in a good mood, right? Like they shouldn't be had like when you're at the end of the day and like in the middle of an argument, you know? (laughs) So also figuring out the best timing for conversations like that. But yeah, I think it's totally... And I know like I am very grateful that my husband was open to going to therapy because I know some are not. And I will say though, a lot of therapy, even if he's there it's really working on you. So as much as you feel like, oh, we need to go to therapy together so he can work on himself. Like it's you, you need to work on you. (laughs) Like I promise you, like you're half of the relationship. So just you going to therapy is still going to help the relationship, even if he's not open to it. And, you know, maybe over time he recognizes that and then maybe he's open to it or something. That's a great point. Yeah. Because we always want to deflect things, but... Yes. <laughs> I have to hold up a mirror. It's really annoying. <laughs> yeah. I still have to catch myself on that one. So, <laughs> man. Okay. I'm going to review where we've been and when what's left here. So, when we're talking about the things that might need addressing post miscarriage, talked about testing and lab work. And I think the valuable thing I took away there is you said take control and ask why something isn't tested, essentially. Yes. And then there's the checklist on the site. And then we talked about physical healing. And what I heard there is like, really get quiet and listen, try, try not to fill the emptiness, um, which is like good advice for everyone. <laughs> good advice yeah. for everyone is that in quiet and in space is when the best stuff comes to the top, really. And from there, we talked about emotional healing and something valuable you said there was that if it makes you happier and healthier, do it anyway, because that's really like your ultimate goal probably in life that's going to help lead to potentially a pregnancy or like it's our ultimate goal anyway. Like we always put, we're like, I'll be happy if, I'll be happy if, I'll be happy if, and we have to catch ourselves from continuing to say that. So if if we can do something, like we have to say, what can I do today? to make mm-hmm. myself happy today. And some of the things you did on a daily basis that did not rely on going outside of yourself was journaling and prompts, guided prompts, walks and silence, meditation, taking care of your body. And then also like realizing that community was important or like developing your own community was a potential step there as well. Mm-hmm. Then we talked about your marriage and relationship. And so I think the thing that's valuable there is how do you want to be supported and how do you like to show support? Yes, I think that was correct. And then also like just getting help on yourself is going to help the relationship, not like focusing on the other person, but changing yourself first, which is a good reminder for all of us. I think that's like most of the buckets, except for the wild card bucket. (laughs) 
<laughs> essentially, like whatever else you want to add. You've talked about adding an acupuncture, which we kind of put under the physical bucket, healthy eating under the physical bucket. But like the list could be long. What are some of the other potential things that one could do if they wanted to had the space that felt like right to them post miscarriage? Oh, man. I mean, I think any sort of healing modality and the thing I've started to realize is with a lot of the like kind of healing or energy work, if you want to get into some of that is there is a lot of overlap in a lot of them. And I think for me, it's finding the right practitioner and someone that you connect with and that resonates with you. Right. So it's maybe not so important that you know, you go to this kind of energy healer, you do this thing. But if you find that right practitioner that really feels like they are understanding you and supporting you, then like kind of gravitate towards that. I mean, that being said, there are some modalities, like I know acupuncture, there is research. Like when I've done the research, there is research that acupuncture can help with fertility. There's a little bit of research into like chiropractic work. There's something I did that was like my abdominal massage that can help as well. You know, another thing, you know, always, of course, checking with your doctor. There are some things that like if you're, you happen to be pregnant, you may not want to be doing like if you're actually pregnant. Um, so just kind of figuring out what's right for you. And a lot of it too, it's like, anything when you're looking at your protocol and your supplements and your diet, all of that stuff is going to be unique to you. So the thing I really like to caution people is like, don't get into a Facebook group and see that like this lady got pregnant because she did X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Your lab work, like your unique person is so different from that person. So you just can't do it that way. You've really got to look at your situation and see what is the best fit for you. And that's finding, you know, the right doctor that can really understand your labs. And then again, listening to that intuition and knowing what's right for you. And ultimately, you know, listening in to what, you are saying, and that will serve you very well as you, you know, transition into motherhood as well as learning to listen to yourself and trust yourself. Mm, such sound advice. And actually getting into a Facebook group and assume, you know, and like looking at their success protocol and applying it to yourself, you know, again, might be bad advice for any condition as well. So like yeah. great to bring up right here because I'm guessing you've seen it a couple of times. Yes, yes. And if you want to see the research behind their protocol, I am on a mission to like have all of those articles so you can like do the research yourself before you start like popping random pills and stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Allison, where can people find you online or get support from Miscarriage Hope Desk? So yeah, it's just miscarriagehopedesk.com. We have an active Instagram account that's at Miscarriage Hope Desk. We have a Facebook group. Again, like everything to search Miscarriage Hope Desk. We have a podcast as well. And those interviews are also on YouTube. I think that's where we are. If you want to sign up for the newsletter, it's just miscarriagehopedesk.com slash newsletter. And when you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get a free copy of that lab checklist that we talked about earlier. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. When trying to conceive and grow a small human or nourish yourself through some of the tough stuff our bodies have to deal with day to day, a high quality prenatal is your first insurance policy. Unlike the majority of prenatal supplements, full well prenatal exceeds current safety standards by independent testing for heavy metals, allergens, and other contaminants on every single batch produced, which is absolutely the exception in the supplement industry. Longtime private practice functional medicine dietitian, and mother Fullwell prenatal creator Ayla Barmer has a deep knowledge on the needs and challenges of women before, during, and after pregnancy. You can feel confident in the year she spent curating the best forms of nutrients for Fullwell in dosages that actually align with research in a gentle, easy-to-use formula that doesn't upset your stomach. 
Check out the new website at fullwellfertility.com and use the code less stress to get a discount on your order. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.